The following podcast contains a formal correction, an official apology, and for once, a proper grown-up. Thank you for your patience and understanding in this difficult time for all concerned. You're listening to On a Pair. She's not wrong, you know. This is probably going to end up being a 45-minute editorial, but we're glad that you're along for the ride. You're listening to On A Pair. We're on episode four. And as always, I've got as good a company as you could ever wish to have. Daryl Butler, how are you, my friend? I'm great, thanks, Jim. How are you doing, mate? You okay? Yeah, very well. How was your week, sir? Really good, thanks. Yeah, lots of cricket, lots of snooker, and a little bit of work entwined in there as well. So, yeah, it was perfectly relaxed. Love it. Cricket and snooker, that's the dream for you, Tiger, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely perfect, mate. Have you had your baby yet? How's things for you? Uh, no, no, we're still on 14 and a half weeks, mate. Um, <laughs> it takes a while, this. Stick with me. I'll give oh, you an right. update when required. <laughs> Peter de Sonberg, you know a little bit more about the gestation period, I assume. Uh, how are you, mate? <laughs> yes, I'm very good, thanks, Jim. Um, yeah, good. Been a quiet week, but like Dad's been watching the snooker. That was excellent. I'm Team Mark Selby. So, uh, yeah, nice to watch. Excellent. Well, everybody's happy with a snooker. Oh, I hate Why not? To do that. Team Mark Salby. That, well, I mean, that just annoys me. He's not a team. Well, or, I mean, no, he's just getting behind his man, Dad. Come on. Come oh, on. Sorry. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a snookerist, but I gave it a go. I quite enjoyed myself. I reckon 50% of the time, I had a good time. So, um, yeah, I, I can sort of see the appeal. I think the nicknames are rubbish, though. Yeah, I think he's not a jester, is he? No, I don't think he's ever said anything even remotely, like, lightly amusing in his life, Mark Selby, but he's, he's given it a go. I suppose yeah. the magician for Sean Murphy makes sense, because all the kids at school that tried to do magic tricks are the kids that looked a bit sad and had no mates, and I reckon Sean was probably that. Yeah, he reminds me of Miles which is the same sort of thing, I think. <laughs> well, there we are. I've slagged off um, dart players. I've slagged off county cricketers. I'm now going after snooker players. And sort of, why not? Before I get myself into any more trouble, we should probably crack on with uh, with the news. Uh, a bit of a turbulent week in the world of cricketing news. We'll get to all the key bits and pieces in due course. But I suppose if we're going to start anywhere... Um, We'd probably better start with this, hadn't we? It's a Worcester watch, but it's a weird one, Daz. What have you got for us, mate? Yeah, it's a bit of a moot one this week, isn't it? Um, should we talk about the actual cricket first? Uh, Moeen's lot Super Kings, they won on Wednesday by seven wickets, took uh, down 173, and Moeen was back in the side on Saturday. He scored 58 in 36 balls, I think it was, but they lost to the Indians, uh, Mumbai Indians, in the, it was a last ball thrill, actually, wasn't it? It was... I think it was two off the last ball. Yeah, Moeen hitting fours and sixes all over the option, but somewhat overshadowed, isn't it? Because it's been uh, it's yeah, been it's, postponed. I think it's probably the right decision. Um, I was under an iron all week. I, I, I hear one argument saying, "Well, look, look at the it brings a small glimmer of light into uh, what is a, a horrific situation down in India at the moment." And you think, "Yeah, okay, maybe they should try and carry it on if, if it isn't putting anybody at risk." And then I mean, you just have to see the pictures of funeral buyers to understand why it probably shouldn't carry on. And I was flip-flopping, and I don't really know, but yeah, I think they've done the right thing. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you think, yeah, give, give them a bit of joy, but then you think every available ambulance should be where it's most needed, and that's with people who are really? seriously ill. And it wasn't really until players started 
started getting coronavirus that they decided to pull the plug, was it really? Let, let's be honest, that's the reason why the, the, the IPL oh, yeah. is stopping. It's because players are getting getting infected. Yeah. And they, well, they wouldn't be able to carry on the games anyway, would they now? So, uh, I mean, it's forced the hands a little bit when they've got there in the end. Yeah, so postponed. They will reconvene slightly later on in the year. Yeah, now, now doesn't feel like the right time for cricket in that part of the world. And you just got to hope, well, as many people as possible can pull through what is a really upsetting situation. Um, but um, we shall we shall, we shall, try and keep ourselves upbeat, Daz. Um, the world of Worcestershire beyond the first team then. Who else has been playing this yeah, week? Yeah, Tottenham Lemons had a game... Uh, which finished on Thursday. Uh, Jack Haynes again in the runs. Josh Dan as well. Ross Whiteley all scoring tons in the first innings. Uh, we scored 480 for nine declared. Uh, Lancashire made 418 for eight. George Driscoll with four wickets in the Lancashire innings. And then we had a bit of a collapse in the second innings. 93 for six we were at the close of play. Uh, thankfully it was a rain about. Uh, I wouldn't have fancied necessarily defending such a low score. But uh, 93 for six. Match drawn. You, you felt a little bit like the weather. The weather closed in, and that really affected conditions. But as you said, Dell Haynes and Whiteley continue to score heavily, and you've sort of got to worry. Got to worry a little bit for um, for Roderick. We're, we're not really into um, players getting dropped uh, after a short period of time and after a small sample of um, of games. But um, with those boys making as many runs as they are, it's looking a little bit ropey for our for our latest yeah. acquisition from Gloucestershire. Well, Gibbon's given his full support to him today, hasn't he? So yesterday, I think on the on the interview. So, but we'll see how it goes. There's a squad there for a reason, isn't there? So, if you're not going to, yeah. if these players aren't going to be picked for the first team after they're scoring centuries in the, in the seconds, then then when are they going to be picked? I was going to say, Bright Whiteley scored a century, didn't he? And he's he's a bit unfortunate for Worcestershire, isn't he? In that he's obviously got his T20 specialism. And as a result, he's, he's automatically classed a far more down the, the pecking order when it comes to four-day cricket. But he can't really continue to be overlooked if he keeps scoring centuries and fifties. Yeah, again, it's a good problem to have, isn't it? They want to give Roderick every opportunity to um, to succeed. Um, and there are plenty of people that are kind of uh, nipping away at his heels. No bad thing. Um, the, the women have been in action as well, Daz. Yeah, they had a game on Sunday. They only managed 12 overs, though, before the rain hit. Uh, they had Staffordshire 73 for four in that time. Emily Arlott picked up a couple of wickets. And that one, there's a couple of runouts as well. So uh, 73 for four, and the second game was completely abandoned for the weather. Arlott was also in action for the Central Sparks last week as well. Uh, they played a friendly against the England Women's Academy. So uh, that, I think they lost to the England Academy there. And Millie Home played as well for the uh, for the Sparks. She scored 25 not out at a runner ball. Right, good work, Daz. And it'd be good to, good to get some of them on the, on the show at some point. That'd be nice, oh, wouldn't it? That. Yeah, yeah, that'd be brilliant, that would, yeah. Um, let's move on. So, um, wickets. And we're not talking wickets and outs in the 100. We're talking about the decks that people have been playing on in county cricket this year. Um, thoughts on this, Pete? Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, there's been a backstory to this. Just before the season started, Joe Root, did an interview uh, after the series defeat in India. And he made a number of interesting comments around wanting flatter wickets and changes to the point system. The main reason for that, in, in his words, were to develop bowling skills, particularly spinners getting more opportunities, bowling at different stages of innings, you know, learning to control and end while the, the pace bowlers took wickets. Uh, but also for batsmen to ignore scoreboard pressure and post their own big totals. Um, and in his view, uh, changes to the point system would alter the mentality of batsmen, take the pressure off them, and it would be more akin to test cricket, essentially. What, yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on his interview, really, and what we've seen at the start of the season? I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to ready as many county cricketers for test cricket 
as possible. And that makes sense because what he's... I think, anyway, it feels like what he's basically saying is we don't really want to have green tops where county trundlers who bowl kind of medium, medium fast nipping out everyone all over the place because it's such a seamer-friendly environment in England because they're never going to be good enough to play for England but are going to keep getting a bucket load of wickets in English conditions. I think he's trying he's trying to make it easier for the England potential players to succeed at the county level, which I understand, but it hurts counties like Derbyshire and like Leicestershire and like Worcestershire who can prepare wickets for the kind of bowlers they have. And I think it makes potentially those counties less competitive. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that in many ways. And uh, I think there's another factor that he touched upon, uh, which was that county cricket is a sandwiched either side of the um, one-day season, effectively, uh, which is a significant proportion uh, of the of the season when England obviously play the bulk of their matches. So, but he seemed to suggest that he doesn't doesn't want to alter the schedule so that more county cricket was played in your June, July, August of the season. He was happy with it as it is. So it was a strange interview in many ways. I'm not exactly clear whether. The, his recommendations were adopted um, or whether he was commenting on the changes before they were put in. Not entirely clear on that, but um, interesting to show the uh, the influence that Joe Root is exerting over county cricket. Yeah, and now with a, with a so I suppose, a, a bigger role. I say a bigger role, but with Ed Smith out of the way as as, uh, as a selector, then, I mean, he, he is now an incredibly powerful individual in English cricket, so you kind of hope that he gets it right. But um, he, seems like, he seems like a good chap, so we can only hope for the best. Um, right, gentlemen, let's move on. The Hundred. Coming soon. It's everybody's favourite competition. We mentioned it just quickly because there was a practice run last week, wasn't there, Daz? Yeah, there was a game at Lords last week. It was an MCC sort of inter-club match uh, between red and yellow. It was all female MCC members playing in it. Uh, and it was a, a, it was a one wicket or one run win. It's certainly last ball win anyway, so... Exciting start to things, but uh, didn't see any of the game. I just followed the commentary, um, Ben Bloom's commentary on uh, on Twitter. But uh, looked like an exciting match, at least. They've revamped the scoreboard. That was a big thing he took from it. So there's uh, a lot less information on there now. It's just runs, balls bowled, balls remaining, wickets, and that's about your lot, really. So it made it a lot simpler for uh, for newbies to understand the. Uh, understand the game well there was no media there the reason why you couldn't get any kind of live feed or anything there was no media there i think apart from the telegraph so it was literally just a you know a pilot episode wasn't it there we are um they are giving it a whirl we shall see how it goes um we will try our best to get on board um let's move on we mentioned this last week we said we were going to touch on it so let's do it um let's talk about ticket pricings um because as we mentioned uh, worcestershire is the most expensive place to watch 2020 cricket this summer we were alerted to this by um aaron who goes by the twitter handle cricket connoisseur and he runs the county cricket podcast always worth your time and attention i have had a chat with him last week about his feelings as a Birmingham Bears fan and how much it would now cost to watch cricket at New Road. Well, in terms of ticket prices themselves, there hasn't really been much change. I mean, a lot of the North group, as we know, is quite reasonable. It's as simple as that. You look at Leicestershire, for example, £15, Durham is £16.50. So in terms of that, obviously, travelling costs aside, the ticket prices are pretty reasonable. But then as I was looking for tickets at New Road, it's a place that I love going to, Pairs versus Bears Derby, simple as that. Derby Day doesn't get any better apart from, obviously, under the lights of Edgebaston itself. They were £35. And that, for me, I understand New Road, smaller ground, 
large demand, of course, given the, the smaller size of the stadium. But £35, it, for me personally, just seems like a lot. Considering that in 2019, £25, year before that, they're around 20 Um I, I don't really see how they've justified that, to be honest. You won't be going this year, then? Well, unfortunately not. That, that's the thing. And um, As I mentioned there, I mean, 2019, of course, can't help the weather. Didn't exactly go to plan, did it, with regards to the rain gods. But, I mean, it is a ground that I love, and I say that as a Bears fan. Okay, I love going to New Road. It's very picturesque. And it's Derby Day. It's as simple as that, whether you're on Worcestershire, Warwickshire, whichever team that you actually support. Derby Day is the day. It's the one that we look at first day of the season in the calendar. Right. Put that into the schedule. Let's see when it is. Let's see when the tickets are. Let's see what we can do. It's just it's just too expensive. It's simple as that. I can't justify £35 for both myself and a friend. I just can't do it. Put it into context then. Aside from the 35 quid it would take for you to get through the turnstile, what are your costs then getting to New Road? How much is it going to cost to travel? You've got to feed yourself and everything else. Correct. I mean, to be honest, that's not really a massive issue because for me, I'm lucky. That's anecdotal evidence there. I have friends in Worcestershire. For people in Nuneaton, for example, people in Stratford, for people who have a pretty long journey, even outside of the county, for example, who just want to come down and see a Derby Day at New Road, it's completely different. And I feel like for that ticket price, it's just too much. I don't think, with all due respect for domestic cricket, which we all love, we love going to see the T20 Blast. It is the showpiece of the English domestic summer. I just think £35 is too much. I really do. I, I can't justify it. And for me, even though the travelling costs aren't major, you have to think of other people. I don't speak on behalf of every single Warwickshire fan. So when you factor that into account, for some people, their, their travelling costs might be £30, £40. You never know. They might have to, have to get a train, taxi, whatever. And then you throw on top of that a ticket price, which is just too expensive. I mean, to put this into context for those actually out there, at Warwickshire, it's £25. Okay, it's between £19 and £25. It's £22 to go into the Eric Holly stand for Derby Day. In addition to that, if you look at the final day tickets for the 50 over cup, which is at Trent Bridge, you can get them for about £30 and that's the final. So again, just for me personally, again, just me speaking, maybe Warwickshire and Worcestershire fans, of course, do share the same sentiment. But I just think it's a bit too far. I'm going to be honest, Jim. So there we are. That's Aaron, who's uh, part of the team at the County Cricket Podcast. He's also a Bears fan, talking about his views on the price points at Worcestershire this season. Um, Now, I mean, let's just be clear about this. We're not trying to beat the club up here. Um, We're just trying to have a conversation. It's £5 for under-18s to get into New Road. That is a bargain. £5 to watch County Cricket. That's as cheap as it gets anywhere, and that's brilliant. But when you're talking about an adult price, and this is anyone who's 18 and over, £30 minimum price for Warwickshire, it's 35 Um Let's just, a quick comparison here. So if we look at other teams in our group, we're by far the most expensive. Durham, £16.50. Derbyshire, £17. Knotts, £21. Now, if we go on the premise that New Road has a smaller capacity and needs to generate more of the income. Well, there are other grounds that have similar capacities. Grace Road, Leicestershire, there's a couple of hundred in it. There's not much in it. And it's half the price. It's 15 quid a throw. So they're managing to do it at half the price. So why aren't Worcestershire? And I think it's a, a question that does need asking. Gents, based on what you've heard, what are your thoughts? Are they doing the right thing from a, from a business point of view? Yeah, they probably are, aren't they? 35 quid. Um, if they sell it out, absolutely fine. But it, I think it's a bit short-sighted. Well, let's, um, let, let, let me put something to you, boys. Okay. Yeah, if, if the club said to you, we have to charge this, 
This we don't want to charge. We have to charge this because we have a smaller capacity. We have a great product on the pitch. We have a competitive cricket team every year, and we do. Worcestershire have a great side for for what they have at their disposal in terms of resources. But we have to bail out the ground every year because it's three feet underwater. Every single season, it costs money. So we have to charge this to survive. If they said to you, that's it, it's got to be 30 slash 35 pounds for us to be able to function, would you would you stomach that? Because I think I would. Yeah, if they I just said, we if, have if, to do this. If they can turn around and fill the ground for 35 quid, then it's fair enough, is that supply and demand works. But what I would also say is, don't come running in 15 years' time saying we haven't got any supporters coming into the grounds because you've outpriced the young lads who want to go or the young kids. We just talked about the hundreds. You can go and you can buy a hundred ticket for Edgebaston for 14 quid. If you're in the north of Worcestershire, the chances are if you want to go and watch a first-class T20 game, you're going to head towards Edgebaston, aren't you? Done. I've gone through everything. So I've gone through every club that has released their prices, the capacity and everything else. There are two clubs that are similar to Worcestershire. In that, they have a small capacity ground and they're charging quite a lot of money. One of them is Essex, who are charging £5 less per each ticket. So it's £25 for a standard game 30 pounds for a a high grade game and they've got a similar sized capacity of their ground so it's small but what the difference between Worcestershire and Essex are they have a a further concession so you pay less if you're a young adult or a student so if you're under 25 you pay less money I mean, to, to counter it, Worcestershire have the best value for children, for youngsters, for teenagers in, oh, the, in the country. Yeah, no, the, um, that, I, that's to be commended. As well. the, the young person's season tickets are great value at county. And the, the season tickets for the T20 are, the, I think it's 99 quid for seven games, isn't it? Which is yeah. decent value. It is great value, but you have to be able to afford the £99 up front, which again is Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. The, the other club is Sussex, who are charging 30 quid a throw, and it's a similar sort of setup. Um, the, the thing is, is that lots of clubs have varying price points and price structures. A hypothetical situation. I'm going to give you a scenario. Tom Smith and Ben Jones open the batting for their college in Bromsgrove, right? One's in the upper sixth and one's in the lower sixth. So Tom, his birthday is on the 1st of June, and he's in the upper sixth. His best mate, Ben Jones... His birthday's in September, he's in the lower sixth, okay? So one's going to be 18 and one's going to be 17. There's going to be a couple of months between them. They're both at college. They both have exactly the same lifestyle, exactly the same access to disposable income as young people who are in education, exactly the same social economic environment, but in the summer it will cost Ben £5 to get in and his best mate, Tom, 35 because the cutoff is 17 years old. So when you're 18, you're a full adult. Even though you're at college and you haven't got a proper job and it's exactly this, you're living exactly the same life as the lad who's a couple of months younger, that arbitrary cutoff point means that it's seven times more expensive. So Essex have, Essex have a, co- a concession there for young adults. And that's, I think that's a sticking point for me with Worcestershire is that it goes from five quid, which is brilliant value, to 35 quid for an 18-year-old. I mean, again, £35 for the Warwickshire game, you can justify it because we're gonna, we'll, they'll sell that out. It's the fact that every other game is 30 quid as well. Uh, well I, can't then, see how, I can't see them selling that out for 30 quid. Isn't there, couldn't we make one game a sort of a, a family-friendly game or a student game or something along those lines where it's a tenant well, to get in? I mean, the thing is, we don't know. The club might just not be able to afford it. But I mean, the point is that, so our, our little hypothetical situation with, with um, Tom and Ben here, if all of a sudden Ben can't go to the cricket with his mate because his mum can't afford to pay the ticket because it's now 35 quid, they've got to get on a train from Bromsgrove. They've got to be out for at least four to six hours. So they're going to have to buy a couple of Cokes or lemonades, maybe something to eat. And all of a sudden, this lad who's just a couple of months older, he's churning out 60 quid for the day. And what are they going to do? They're going to get, well, get on the train, go up to um, Edgebaston, 
and both go together, enjoy the cricket at half the price, co- collectively. So that that's my worry with it. I think all we're really asking here is, just, can you just explain why this is the way it is? C- can we have a chat? Pete, you have been very patient and quiet. What are your thoughts, mate? That's always the case when you two are having an in-depth discussion. I wait patiently uh, to be invited in, Jim. Um, <laughs> so I think you've you've hit the nail on the head with, with what you've just said there. And, and, and there's... There's a couple of factors for me. Firstly, in answer to your, your first question, it's all about transparency. If the club can come out and tell us sort of a justification as to why they're charging that fee, the onus is then placed on me as a consumer to make my de- transactional decision. But I don't have that information at the moment. It's just a figure and I can't, can't get my head around why they're charging that fee. The second thing which you've just touched on and Aaron mentioned as well is the general, I think it's sort of lack of, of willingness across county cricket to accept that away fans exist. That's a quite a strong statement, I accept, but I've had experiences of it in the past where you go to another club to buy your ticket, you go to that game, they've not really factored in um, in the cost of the ticket, obviously with away fans having to travel and uh, refreshments and everything else. And this was discussed in football, wasn't it, a couple of seasons ago with, with uh, caps on ticket prices. Yeah, there was 2020 20 is plenty, wasn't it? That was the... That's the slogan. <laughs> but it's almost like that away fans won't travel in cricket and it's home fans only. And that leads on to an issue that I've had quite a few times where a game's been rained off and ticket uh, club's policy is to not issue full refunds. Not of all clubs, I will make that uh, caveat, but they will issue uh, a ticket for another game. But of course, if you're an away fan, and I've gone to, say, Glamorgan as an example, I've got no interest in watching Glamorgan versus Derbyshire. I just want a refund, but they, they sort of struggle to get their head around that concept. So that, that's my first comment. The second one is about accessibility in general for those who are not retired. Daz is right. The membership option that they've got at T20 at Worcestershire, I think, is brilliant and is long overdue. So, so credit to the club for that. The difficulty I've got is a general membership, which is what people are saying, isn't it? Is if you can't, if you want to bring down the cost of your ticket, then find the, find the money to get a membership. But if I'm working nine to five, Monday to Friday, the way that the ECB schedule the, the fixtures means that I can't go to a lot of the games because work prohibits that. In addition, I did a, a work a couple of years ago and I worked out that if I bought all my tickets in advance for the games that I could go to, it was on a par with a membership, but I got a refund if the game was rained off. If I buy the membership, then um, I don't, and I get I don't get any discount off next year. I don't get store credit, etc. It's just that, well, you know, you've got your membership and that's that. So I completely agree around this conversation needs to be had around T20 tickets. T20 tickets, sorry. But I think there's a broader conversation to be had around ticketing, membership and accessibility for a range of demographics, whether that's your youngsters, your working age people or those that are retired. All all solid points. And again, I mean, what we'll point out is that the T20 membership, brilliant. The ticket pricing for youngsters, brilliant. And um, in fairness, we did contact the club. I did ask the club to have a chat with me about this. And they've been very gracious in saying, um, yeah, sure, let's have a chat. Let's have a conversation because we know you're a fan cast and, you know, that we, we genuinely deeply care about this cricket club. And we're, we're men in our mid-30s. We have disposable income. If we want to go to all of the T20 games work allowing, we can afford to fork out 30 quid or 35 quid if we so wish. This doesn't really affect us. But as with Aaron and other people on social media, they have voiced a concern about Worcestershire from the outside, some Worcestershire fans as well. And so we're basically using this platform to say, let's have a chat. The club have said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you. So we will do that and good on them. 
Um, and, and we look forward to that because, as I say, it's not about trying to beat the club up. It's about the wider context, as, as you pointed out, Pete, of ticketing in general and what the consumer experience, because that's what we are now. We're consumers, not fans. The consumer experience for people who have to hand over lots of money. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, and just to build on that, Jim, sorry, um, I think there's, there's got to be a kind of realigning of expectation, I think, in some ways. It used to be that Worcestershire historically was very much about its membership and, and then the club. But there has to be a realigning in the fact that uh, Worcestershire revenue is made up from three streams. Yes, you've got your members who are very important to the club and they're a stable income. But your on-the-gate tickets are equally important and commercial is equally important. So the three sides have got to, will make up Worcestershire revenue and all three sides have got to get along and have equal importance. So that's, that's sort of my final point on that. Um, and look, they'll, they'll know better than us. They know all about it. They'll have done all their summers and everything else. And look, I, I, I train as a professional actor. I've done many different jobs. Uh, and it's a bit like T20 generates lots and lots of money. It's a bit like theatres. You know, the Panto generates so much money over the Christmas and, and New Year period that it allows them to put on their Chekhovs and everything else that might not necessarily run at a profit. I can't see how county cricket with the attendances and everything else runs at a profit, but T20 facilitates that. And I think, again, the product we get on the pitch at Worcestershire is fabulous. The quality of cricket we get and what they man- what the club managed to give us to watch, I think is fabulous. And it's just a case of, look, it, as I said, if this is how much it has to be for the club to function, fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. I don't like it. I'd rather it be cheaper. We're not saying, please, can we just get in cheaper because we want to save a few quid. It's just, can you just tell us why? And if you, if you can just explain why, then we can make a counterpoint and say, well, could, could, could you do a discount for students? People who are 18 to 21 who are in further education, say, you know, could, could, could you just make it accessible? Because I, I, I fear that as soon as you hit 18, the 18 to 25 year olds have been hit in this pandemic too. The club's been hit. But 16 to 24-year-olds, the Office for National Statistics has shown, have borne the brunt of unemployment in this pandemic because they work disproportionately in retail and in hospitality. And we're potentially going to be losing those people because they won't be able to afford to come. And so um, hopefully... There's, there's, other, there's other games on the horizon. This, like I said, there's Warwickshire down the road. The 100 is coming up and that'll, that'll turn people's heads if they can't afford to come down to Worcestershire. Simple yeah. as that. And, yes. and it, if, if you look at the um, ECB Inspiring Generations report, they talk about how a lot of younger people now associate themselves with individual sports people rather than teams. And that's what the 100 aims to look at, doesn't it? It associates uh, the, the Birmingham side with Moeen Alley, for example. And that's how people they will associate with Moeen Alley. They won't necessarily see Worcestershire. They'll see Edgbaston. They'll see what they the Birmingham Phoenix, I think it is, isn't it? And they'll see the 100 and they'll see it's 14 quid. But right, we'll go there instead and that'll be their team yeah, in 20 years' time. And that's what I worry about. Um, all valid points. And, and um, well, we look forward to having a natter with the club because uh, we're all on the same side and that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. Um, anyway, we promised that we'd talk about it and that we'd bring up various um, various issues. And I feel that we've succeeded in that. So oh, Just to quickly don Daryl's committee hat and say... Uh, Thanks to Aaron for his uh, his time and views on this, and we hopefully look forward to having a chat with him uh, soon in our annual win at Edgbaston. <laughs> don't oh, play. Yeah, he's, he's much on that one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's a good chap, Aaron. He's actually um he's a cricket analyst by trade as well, so he he knows his stuff. And their podcast's great. They've um they've got yeah, all kinds of podcasts, isn't it? Yeah, ex-players and current players, and, and they really know stuff. So it's worth a follow on social media, and it's worth a listen as well, after you've listened to us, of course. Okay, shall we get to the meaty part of proceedings? Because we should probably probably talk about the game of cricket rather than getting in to watch it. So um, 
Worcestershire versus Essex, gentlemen. We are the perennial draw machine. Um, for those of you who haven't been following it, Essex batted first and made a whopping 561 for eight, despite Worcestershire actually bowling very well. It was such an unresponsive pitch. Alistair Cook, um, the much maligned Alistair Cook on this podcast, made 115. Wesley, Tom Wesley made 113. Dan Lawrence made a very elegant 90. There was a half century for Harmer as well. In reply, Worcestershire made a stoic... 364, asked to follow on, 129 for two um, to bat out the four days. Uh, there were a few iffy moments, but Worcestershire weren't ever really in that much bother. Another, I mean, I hate to say it, another dour draw. So let's start first with uh, with the team selection. What, what are your thoughts then, Pete? No, uh, no Leach uh, and Libby captain the side. Yeah, I mean... It's, uh, I found out this week about Worcestershire's SEMA rotation policy, which I have to confess I wasn't, I wasn't aware of. I find that a strange one. I, I understand the principle, I understand the concept, particularly later in the year, but I find it peculiar that it's between Leach, Pennington and, and Morris, and I wonder how that will play when you factor in your tongue, Brown and Finch you know, uh, in the reserves as well. So surprised to see the captain not playing, uh, but obviously it fits in line with their policy. The comment I have on that is if Jake Libby can play almost every minute of the first game, I, I know bowling is more strenuous, but I find it difficult in, in week one that, that, that Morris, for example, couldn't run in for another 20 or 30 overs, but maybe, maybe that's me being harsh. I think it's probably a little bit harsh. I don't know. Do you reckon Joe Leach was just thinking, oh, I've seen the wicket. It's no different to last week. I'm going to take. I'm going to take a. Fu- I'm going to take a few days off. On that, on that wicket, you do need a seam rotation policy. I mean, the, the wearing them sound, it's mentally tiring as well as physically. Putting all that effort in and getting absolutely nothing out of the pitch. It, it, it's. I think it's the right decision. I'm going to go against Pete there. I think. Um, well, and, and to, to do it from the start, the right thing as well. It's all very well saying we'll, we'll do it later in the season, but it's a bit like that five-a-side match when all five of you need to come off at the same time because you haven't made a sub for the first six minutes. That's a very valid point, and I will concede on that on that one. My question though is, why doesn't it apply to Alzari Joseph, or does it? Well, does it? I don't know. We didn't play the first game, did he? So, so we wait and see whether I guess that, that uh, that's a factor. Um, just to pick up on something you said, Jim, for those that have not been following it, I'd say well done to you because uh, I mean I I was I was bored fairly early on. I'm not sure about you, gents. I stuck with it. Um, it was basically when when Harmer was when Harmer came on on Saturday morning because you, you know I'm an absolute nut for a spinner and he he's the best in the county game at the moment um, and he's an intriguing cricketer. I just I like him so I wanted to tune in just to see if there was going to be any turn. Because what we saw with um, uh, Nottinghamshire is that neither side had a, a premium spin bowler. So I just wanted to see if a, if a top-end spinner could make anything out of that wicket. And there was a bit of a worry before lunch on Saturday when he, when he got several um, quick-ish wickets. And actually, you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't that bad a listen. I, I thought the first couple of days were hard work. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to the, the commentators. I thought, um, I thought Nick Bledsoe and Frank Watson did a fabulous job because, I mean, that's tough. Just the two of them on a wicket that was, was docile. Another game where there's only 20 wickets in the entire game and they managed to find um you know the 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 nuances and the elements of cricket that that are intriguing if not entertaining you know that sort of battle between bat and ball when you've got a um a a batsman set and a spinner at the top of his game trying everything he can um so yeah I, i did stick with it it wasn't interesting or entertaining cricket there were a couple of decent sessions but I felt Worcestershire bowled well. They bowled. It's odd to say that when they made 561 for eight Essex, but Worcestershire did as well as they possibly could have done on that deck. And that's been the consensus, hasn't it? That was the same against Knotts. 
Uh, we didn't get any wickets in the second innings, but we bowled well. We persevered. We bowled with control is a word I've used a few times uh, in this podcast. So in all in all, our bowling performance was, again, very good. But the, the difficulty with the wicket was that it was slow to score on and it was difficult to get anything out of as a bowler. And that is not a good combination in county cricket. No, and I mean again, we're sort of we're still at this position where we're four games in, four draws, and I've still got no idea if we're any good or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what we are. I'm swinging towards agreeing with you on the eight points for a draw, not helping these games either, because you make it down to five points for a draw and you give that incentive to winning. You may be asking Essex to push on a bit earlier in the innings. Maybe we pick up a few more wickets earlier on because they're pushing on, and then you never know what's going to happen. Then if you try and force and trying to force a result, then um, even on a dull pitch like that, you you might end up with uh, some late end of innings type wickets a lot earlier on day one or very early part of day two, and then uh, then you can force a result, but it just these eight points for a draw, it's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning as well. I agree with your sentiments about the, the commentary. Uh, definitely a good job to all involved in that. And it's worth picking up on something they said in that this pitch hasn't been created by design. It's, it's just the way that, it, that nature is, is you know, it's the way it's fallen. It's not a deliberate pitch. It's just the way it is. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, you, you'll know that I tweeted tweeted into Frank, Frank Watson, who does the commentary for, for Hereford and Worcester. Uh, he's a fine chap, Frank Watson. He was my former English teacher and my cricket coach as well. He's a really good bloke. Um, so I um, did bung him a tweet. I'm not sure that I'm his best friend. I had a tweet from Jim Dale. I'm not sure how to respond to this one. One option would be to ignore it completely. I mean, I get, <laughs> I get that sort of response quite regularly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, from us, yeah. <laughs> No, he did. He did respond, and he was he was um, he was very nice. And we were just talking about, look, should we expect more from the wickets? Because the only way that we're going to get anyone out is with scoreboard pressure, it would appear. And they did point that out. That it's, look, the the club don't want wickets like this. Gidman said he doesn't want wickets like this. But what no. intrigues me is that it floods every year, but more often than not, at the start of the season, if we are able to play, it ends up being a seamer's paradise, and everyone, you know, it's all out for 130, 140. So why has it gone from skittled out for? scores of under 200 to now being basically a complete beach again i'm only quoting what was said on commentary here because i i'm i'm not a groundsman i've done massively underqualified to comment on anything garden related but the general <laughs> verdict was that the particularly dry april means there's just no grass growth um and therefore there's no other option they can't do anything to to even get a tinge of green on the wicket he did also mention on the one of the first days or first or second day that they were asked to prepare Worcestershire and Worcester, sorry, New Road, and also prepare Kidderminster wicket. So I'll be interested to see. We've got a little bit of a gap now, but whether any of the fixtures are moved to Kidderminster, if that makes any difference. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Pete. And um, in a that you don't know anything about gardening, and b that they're obviously doing everything they can. And they've been Worcestershire ground staff have been in a terrible position for years with flooding and everything else. So they're obviously trying their absolute best. And there's no one more qualified to deal with it than the people that have been dealing with it for the past forty years. Um, we'll have to move it, on, boys. I've got Alan Titchmarsh on the phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> with regard to the bowling performances yes it was very good um, I'm intrigued by the Alsari Joseph signing and here's for why the bowling attack that we had at our disposal uh, this week so it was Morris Pennington Joseph Barnard all right arm fast or fast medium then if you've got Joe Leach to come back in or Josh Tongue all right arm fast fast medium so we don't have a proper, we don't have a, a front line spinner. We don't have a left arm. We don't have any real variation. So 
I feel like we've got a quite a one-dimensional bowling attack, and that that might be a problem, especially if the decks are going to be difficult, um, difficult to get wickets on. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's uh, not wanting to knock the side of Joseph. We're obviously delighted to have him, but given the the depths of, of who we've got in the bowling department, it is a, a confusing signing for me. It just felt like they they wanted an overseas player and they've budgeted for an overseas player so they will get one. I like how sorry Joseph, Joseph, I think he's a cracking cricketer. Love watching him bat as well. And he's genuinely quick. I'm not having a go at him per se. It just seems that given that we've got sort of five senior fast bowlers or seam bowlers, they're all right arm. They're all of a similarish pace. I suppose they're, they're bringing him in because he's a bit quicker. We do lack a variation in our bowling attack. And I think that that might be a problem going forward. But again, it's hard to know just exactly what we are yet. Anyway, this could well be the longest podcast in history unless we move on. We will leave the game over the Maybank holiday weekend on this note. Frank Watson has listened to our podcast and he mentioned such. I've listened to it. I think it's very good. So there we are. Um, how about that? The, taste, uh, Great the, cri- <laughs> the cricketing establishment is finally taking note of three <laughs> middle-class, middle-aged wallies. And <laughs> why permission not? to make uh, Permission for one more comment, Jim. And that's just to say that with the game that we've got coming up at Edgebaston, that will be particularly intriguing because you've got a team who's got the fewest bowling points against a team that's got the most batting points. So something's got to give, you would say. Well, yeah, I mean, Warwickshire took an absolute hammering at the weekend as well, didn't they? They were, I mean, it was a humiliation, is what it was. It was brutal. So um, we don't know what Worcestershire are yet. Warwickshire have got some great cricket in them, but they've also clearly got a bit of a wobble in them as well. So it's got the makings, gents, dare I say it, weather permitting, of an absolute classic. Let's move on to the honours board. Um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism for my jingle. I was under a lot of time pressure last yeah, week. It was I rubbish. It, I th- it was, yeah, it was rubbish, wasn't it? So I've basically gone for the most talented, articulate and creative individual I know to save the day. Have a bit of this. Honours board. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? You should know who this is, Daz. Honours board. <laughs> That's right, my friend. Named and shamed, Daryl Butler is officially a jingle. Um, <laughs> right. We promised at the top of this show there'd be a proper ground-up. We had that with Aaron. He's a fine chap. We also promised you that there would be an apology. Uh, and this is where we all have to stand up uh, and take our medicine because Ricardo Vasconcelos... Uh, last week did not make it onto the honours board despite scoring 185 not out the highest ever fourth inning score for North Ants in a seven wicket win where they managed to knock off 357 runs for the loss of three wickets in very good time Ricardo we are as a podcast collectively and individually we're sorry Okay, that's that's sorted. The Honour Pair Honours Board, where we acknowledge the fantastic performances of players that don't play for Worcestershire. Uh, Pete, let's go to you first, mate. Who did you like this week? Well, I'm going to go with somebody who used to play for Worcestershire, and that's Wayne Parnell. Uh, very unfortunate to be the last man out as North Ants lost a cracking game against Yorkshire by one run. But Parnell took two Michelle Pfeiffers. He took five for 64 in the first innings and five for 79 in the second innings. A little bit expensive, but 33 with the bat, nearly got North Ants over the line. So I'm going to put forward Wayne Parnell. So you're forwarding the man who got out as the final wicket in a team that lost by one run. I am, yes. I, now you've said it, it sounds ridiculous, but I think his contribution in that game overall was significant with bat and ball. Granted, 
he didn't get them over the line. And that might be the deciding factor on whether he yeah. gets on our board or not. But he's a worthy nomination. Pete, if he got I, two fifers and 35 not out, then he's on the board straight away. But he got two fifers and 33. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he gets on there, though. Um, Daz, yeah. I mean, I feel like we've been brutal with Pete straight away with the, he was the guy that got out and they lost by a run. Uh, he didn't go home. I'm saying no. This is so harsh because last week, we did, <laughs> last week, Ricardo Vasconcelos didn't get on the honours board and Toby Roland Jones did. He didn't cut, score a 50 or get a fiver. Uh, Parnell can go and blame Vasconcelos because if he hadn't got himself run out, he might have been able to stick around with him and, uh, and, and get the runs they needed to get Parnell on the honours board. So it's his fault as well. Him. I think this is payback for week one where, uh, or the first week we introduced the honours board and I was brutal about one of Daryl's suggestions. So I'll take my medicine. Parnell doesn't go on. Thanks Thanks for listening to my nomination. (laughs) I mean, I feel terrible. He's got two fifers and he got the second highest score in a brilliant attempted run chase under the most pressure of anybody. And I Daryl hasn't had his suggestion yet, so you wait wait till uh, he puts his forward. I'm all right. Okay, then. Jim, move yours. Move on. Okay, right. Okay, very well. In which case, Wayne Parnell unluckily does not make it onto the board. I'm really torn, boys. I'm really torn. Don't burst into Natalie and Rulia, whatever you do. Well, I mean, I did burst in on her once, but she was changing and I ended up with a police caution. That's a whole different issue. Um, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for low level unsung hero. Okay. Oh, God, I'm going to regret this. I'm going to go for David Lloyd. Glamorgan battered Kent. By 10 wickets. Lots of big wins again. Uh, in Kent's first innings, Lloyd bowled seven overs, two maidens, four for 11, all out for 138. He then top scored with the bat comfortably, scoring 62 in a total of 197. He then took two more wickets um, for 21 to skittle Kent out for 74. And they needed 19 to win. And he scored all 19 of the runs. So he scored 82 runs for the loss of one wicket, got, got six wickets in the match. Um, and he's the sixth highest scorer in the history of county cricket to score all of his team's runs in one innings. The sixth highest, what was that stat? Right, so he scored 19 runs in the second innings. He had 19 yeah. runs to win. Yeah, yeah, he was 19. He, got, out, all yeah. Ni- he got all 19 of them. Um, top scored in the first innings. and, got, and I've, I've picked him marginally over Reign of Durham, who got the ridiculous fiver against Warwickshire. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and the good thing with David Lloyd and make it out of this, Pete, he got his team home, won the game from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, he's sassy today, isn't he? I mean, it's harsh but fair. Yeah, I, I nearly went rain because he basically won won Durham the game on day one. Thirteen overs, nine runs, five wickets. Economy zero point six nine. Um, Warwickshire all out for eighty seven. They were knackered from there on in, and he got five of the top seven batsmen out. Nearly all of them bowled. So um, he destroyed Warwickshire on day one. So I almost gave it to him. But just because Pete got done by Parnell, I'm going to go for David Lloyd, who got a four for, a two for, 62 and 19 not out. Thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I'm going for that. He, he won the game for his team. He scored eight, was it 80, nearly 90 runs in a 400-run game. Yeah, he's there for me. 25% of the runs. Got his team home. Couple of wickets. Lovely job. I feel like Daz, you're gaslighting Pete How here. old is you know, as well? How old is Bumble now? He's got to be in his 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I agree. I think uh, he's got to make the honours board. And if that's the case, I would like to nominate Ben Rain for his uh, five for nine. <laughs> <laughs> right, Pete's going back in for a double dip. Daz, do we give it to Ben Rain at five for nine, ruining Warwickshire's week? I'm gone, and we're only at the end of it otherwise. 
Go on, done. Oh, there you are. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. Give it there. Daryl Butler, my friend, who have you got for the honours right, board? Well, I've, I've got a couple of mentions first. I've gone for a champagne moment, which you didn't give me in the first week. So this is just a mention. Have you seen Dane P- Patterson's catch? Oh, uh, yes. We've retweeted yeah, that. Magnificent. Superb catch, isn't it? Yeah, it is a great catch. Wonderful. I have to mention that. The Nottinghamshire fast bowler who took a one-handed, one-handed grab on the boundary at pace to yeah, win the game for Nottinghamshire. Daryl, how many days was it between county championship wins for Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club? Ooh. How many days before that victory? 800. Great. Peter de Sonberg, how many days? I couldn't even... I wouldn't even know where to start with that one. Well, a number would be good. I think I would. I'm going to bottle it like Wayne Parnell. I'm not going to give you a number. The answer is 1,043 yeah. days. Horrific. Nottinghamshire haven't won since June 2018 in a four-day game of cricket. That is astonishing, considering the players they have. And then with a one-handed really catch at fine leg, which is going for six off a fast bowler. Yep, and it's uh, we uh, retweeted that, so you can find that at on underscore a underscore pair, the Twitter handle. We haven't said that yet today. That's uh, pretty good going it. for us. Get the branding, lads. We need to work on our branding game. Um, right, so come on then, Daryl Butler. So, champagne moment. He gets it. Of course he does. There we go. Couple of other mentions: Gloucestershire, Ian Cockburn, Tom Lace, two hundred and twenty-four run uh, partnership for them, which like, well basically steered them towards victory. They were fifty-two for three, not that, um, got oh, them the, close the, enough to beat in Leicestershire. The so Cobain, was, uh, the Gloucestershire Cobain innings, the um, one hundred and seventeen was brilliant. They ended up yeah. being six down, but they did it basically with three down, and they did it within the last couple of overs. Yeah, shout it was out, really tight finish, isn't it? Shout out yeah. to Ackerman at Leicestershire though, because they declared to set up that game. And, and then set yeah. them 347 or what it was, whatever it was to win. So they said, let's have a game of cricket. And it went well, right down to the yeah. wire on day four. So credit credit to both sides for making a, a cracking game of cricket possible. And what a brilliant chase. Another um, good it, chase, uh, Lewis Goldsworthy and his baby for Somerset. He came in, they were six, da- uh, six down, 85 short. And he helped see them home with one of our old boys, Steve Davis. So um, Somerset, they were under a bit of pressure. Because they lost to Gloucester, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago? And if they'd lost yeah. that one, they'd have been in big trouble, I think. So they would have been making the top two anyway. So um, Lewis Goldworthy gets a mention as well. But the man of the week for me is, of course, Hashi Mamla. I don't right. anything else. 215, 38 years old, eight hours at the crease. I mean, I spend eight hours in the bath and I need a rest. <laughs> what, what, what else can you say about that? He's, yeah, won, won the game for his team, 215. I don't say anything else. Do I put him on the board? Let's move on. Right, OK. I mean, it's another double hundred. It's hard to say no to a double hundred. I like um, I like the Ian Cobain innings better, to be honest. I prefer it more because it's a match-winning innings from a difficult situation under time pressure. Hashi Mamla batting at Surrey. You fancy it, but it, I mean, it was, a, it was a cracking innings. It was elegant. It was sophisticated. It's Hashi Mamla. He's beautiful to watch. Yeah, it's very difficult to say no to that, does, isn't it? I mean, I feel like you played safe. I've not played safe. I've played it properly. We have to do an apology next week. I'm not doing it last week. I'm not doing one next week. <laughs> Fair point, mate. Pete, is he in? I mean, despite Daryl's early criticism of me, um, of my pick, I think Amler's got to be on the board, particularly when you factor in his early season form as well. He was a bit under pressure, so to come out with a double hundred is a, is a good gutsy knock as well. So, so excellent. Yeah, he's on the board for me. Yeah, fair shakes. Um, and then just just to wrap up the county um, circuit, another another week of massive wins. 
Glamorgan beat Kent by 10 wickets. Kent can't bat. I don't know what's going on there. Nottinghamshire win by 310 runs. Durham win by an innings and 127. Surrey win by an innings and 289. It's bonkers. There's just huge, huge victories all over the option. And then there's a few, uh, a great run chase from Lancashire, five wickets. The Yorkshire winning by one run. And that's a heartbreaker. You've got to feel for for Parnell and good old Pete for picking an underdog. Anyway, um, a great round of county championship action, probably with the exception of the uh, the game at New Road, sadly. But things will turn around, I'm sure. Let us move on. Gentlemen, to any other business. Uh, and it's now time for the correction part of the show. We promised you an editorial, and that's what you got. Because last week I said that Craig Brathwaite was the batsman that Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad both got out to bring up their 400th test wicket. That's not true. I've lied to you. It was their 500th, all right? I'm sorry. I was out. You know, the spark was there, but the facts were a little bit off, and that's the story of my life. Um, So, (laughs) any other business? Pete, what were you up to this week? So the homework I set you both um, was to tell me your favourite ground outside of Worcestershire. What did you come up with? Grounds I have been to. First of all, I mentioned again Horsham and Arundel down Sussex, superb grounds, probably the best outgrounds on the circuit for me. But I'm going to probably shock you here. I'm going to pick my favourite non Worcestershire grounds as Edgebaston. The atmosphere in that place is absolutely superb. I love it. I love going there. We normally win there as well, which helps. I love going there to watch England. I love going there to watch Worcestershire. It's always a full house. The atmosphere um, is, is. I think the best on the circuit. It's... I, t- I tell you what, that surprised me, Daz, because you and Pete have been everywhere. I mean, you've been to a lot more grounds than I have. I think I've only been to about five outside Worcestershire. I mean, you you boys have been everywhere. So um, I'm surprised by that, Daz, actually. I mean, I th- don't get me wrong, you probably, I mean, we, I get it, we go to Edgebass and it's always been a full house whenever we go there with Worcestershire. I've watched England there a few times. Uh, I actually scored there and, and the view from the scorebox as well, over which you don't see when you're in there as a supporter. The view over Birmingham is just incredible. It's, it's a wonderful ground. I love the place. Great atmosphere. I love it. Absolutely love it, Justin. It's a good shout, Daz. Yeah, can't argue with that, mate. Cracking stuff. I know. I thought I, I thought you'd go like curveball, like you, you did the, the day night. Um, the day night four four day game at Chesterley Street. I thought you might fancy that or something like that. Oh yeah, no, look, there's loads of good grounds out there. But um, for me, yeah, say it's the, the atmosphere at Edgbaston that I love the most. Pete, um, which which one's yours? Well, I found this really difficult, um, and I regretted asking the question as soon as I said it. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've split it down into into three. But I'll keep it very brief, don't worry. The first one is the test ground, and that's Trent Bridge. Love Trent Bridge every time I've been. We've had good results there, which is nice. Um, but it's it's one of the smaller test grounds, isn't it? And I just found it r- really uh, really well run, quite intimate as well. So, yeah, Trent Bridge is, is a good ground. Uh, out ground would be Colchester. I was saddened to learn on commentary that Essex don't play at Colchester anymore. But it was a lovely little ground. Surprise as well, though. You, you, you kind of go through a... a set of gardens that you know, through and it opens up onto this pitch and it caught yeah. us by surprise and it was a, it was really nice uh, really nice game to see and we got gifted a lovely little picnic hamper by uh, some Essex fans there as well and, and got stuck into some sausage rolls so that was a good one but my ground is Wantage Road Northampton quirky little ground not all built up it's built up mostly on one side and then you've got some some space on the other side with just some park benches. Reminded me a little bit of New Road in some ways without the uh, magnificent views. And a uh, funny moment that took place at Wantage Road. Uh, it was early on in the inning. Can't remember the bowler now, but bowler ran in. There was an appeal, or there was no appeal actually. It was a court behind, but Daz and I, being over overexcited, jumped up and appealed. And the umpire gave it out. <laughs> what? And the, 
the, the player uh, who was fielding down at, at fine leg ran back to us and said, cheers, boys, we, we weren't going to appeal for that one. <laughs> so just a quirky little memory. Have I, I remembered that correctly, Yeah, that's, I'd, I'd forgotten about that, yeah. <laughs> so technically, Peter de Sonberg may have never got a legitimately good score over 10, but he has <laughs> successfully got a wicket in first-class cricket. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, what have you gone for? This is sort of an easy decision for me, and I also I'm I'm moderately embarrassed about it. Really, there are a few grounds that I genuinely love. When I used to live in London, I used to get into Surrey in the afternoons for free uh, and see our old mate Gareth Batty and Vikram Solanke and and Stephen Davis when they were playing when they were playing there. Uh, I really loved going to Ho because I used to live in Brighton. But um, people who listen to the podcast may or may not know that um, I used to run um, run the bar in the long room at Lord's Cricket Ground. And I also ran a section of the Deventures area at the top of the mound stand in 2013. So in a previous professional life, I used to do bar and restaurant stuff. I was a wine merchant. I was also a tour guide at Lord's. So I got to watch Jimmy Anderson take his 300th test wicket in the MCC chairman's special lounge next to the Queen's former butler. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. that, Um, And, you know, I'm not going to claim that that 300th wicket was Craig Brathwaite, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, so I spent... You ran the tours at Lords, did you? No, I didn't run the tours. I was a tour guide on non-match days. So on match days, for test matches and for internationals and for Middlesex games, I basically was running the the bar in the long room. So you have the long room where you can see out onto the pitch and then behind there is where where you basically hang out and there are tables and um, you can get some wine and some food and all that sort of thing. And so I got to meet and, and experience... Um, what life was like watching test cricketers every single day walking through the long room. So I had to, I mean, I'm telling off Johnny Bairstow for walking through there in his pants, waving a pad above his head. Um, try, um, all kinds of stuff. Meeting John Motson, meeting Jeffrey Boycott, obviously not so good meeting Jeffrey. Uh, who else? I mean, I, had to, I spoke at length to Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was actually tolerable company, which makes me feel weird, but it was true. He was strangely quite nice to me. Um Russell Crowe, Jude Law, I mean, all the ex-players. I mean, it's just... Paul Tisdale, the former Exeter City manager, used to play for the MCC, and he was in the long room. I didn't know he was a member at Lord's, and I was there just kind of um, setting out my stool for the the start of a test match against New Zealand. It's like, Paul! And I couldn't help it. Paul! And he went, what? Who are you? And I got my car... I I got my... um, Exeter City Supporters Trust card out of my wallet and said, I'm one of yours, Paul, like this weird little fanboy, and he invited me to a charity <laughs> cricket match. I played cricket against the Exeter City football team as a result of it. So, uh, yeah, I've seen some incredible things at the home of cricket, and it was an incredible privilege. Some of it was great, some of it not so great, but an insight into um, the world of cricket that very, very few people get to see, and I'm a very, very privileged man. Um, and an opportunity to name drop as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's the embarrassment, isn't it? And I, could, I could do that forever because I've met everybody and I've seen yeah. some incredible innings. I think the best hundred I've ever seen, I think, live was um, uh, the Australian batsman Marcus North when he played for Glamorgan. He played against Middlesex in a one-day international and he made a brilliant 150 and it's the, it's the best innings I think I've ever seen by anybody. And I got to watch that in the sunshine, in my suit and tie on the Lord's Pavilion. Uh, and you know life's not bad when you get to do that um so uh, as cringy and embarrassing and self-indulgent as it is uh, i'm picking lords sorry boys Fantastic. no that's no. a good start good shout good memory you got on safe then jim yeah yeah well yeah well 
It was either that or Bristol because I got chased across a car park by two angry men after a one-day international against Bangladesh, and I wasn't going to pick that, was I? So um, <laughs> there we are. I've gone for Lords. Um, gentlemen, strong answers across the board for all kinds of reasons. A little bit of everything, gents, and that's kind of what we're all about. Um, may I suggest something for any other business next week? Yeah, go on. Well, given that we found that um, the commentary teams now that do Worcestershire games are, are a fan of our work... had a tweet from Jim Dale, who runs a sort of alternative Worcestershire podcast, and I've listened to it, and I think it's very good. How about our favourite commentators of all time? Yes, okay, I'm well up for that. Okay. I've written one down already. I'll see if I stick with it. Um, okay, so next week... We will consider our favourite cricket commentators of all time. That makes perfect sense. I've got some more any other business before. Have you seen the uh, new cricket pubs with uh, the gastric pubs with cricket nets in? I have seen this. Hang on a minute. Are you so- oh, pubs. I thought you said pumps. <laughs> what, you, there's- there are these places where you used to be able to go and drink beer before. We're now running at about four and a half days for this episode, so let's extend it out. There are cricket nets at a pub. Yeah, cricket. Well, it's not open yet. It's opening in. They're hoping to open in May. It's called Sixes, and they're. Um, it, it's a bit like a sort of flight club, really, with, with the darts sections. But they've got cricket nets in that you can hire by the hour. I've right, got this vision so- of sticking a pound in a bowling machine and, and it fires six deliveries at you. But uh, ha- no, I'm hang really on. To it. A pub where people consume mind-altering beverages. You can go and drink a load of beer and then get a hard missile of a cricket ball launched at your <laughs> face while drunk. How is, that, how is that allowed? That's like putting a Weatherspoons on a roundabout. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't done that either. <laughs> where, is this, where is this magical, well, mythical pub? one opening in uh, London, in, uh, opening in May, and then um, Oxford and Manchester, there'll be two more in the near How are you going to go through central London with your cricket bag because you fancy a quick net and also a couple of pints of John Smith's? What? It's not going to be people like me and you going, is it, with your cricket bag? Well... Why don't we treat ourselves to an end of part, end of podcast or end of season uh, party at the pub and do the last one from the nets? Well, that's, I, I mean, that sounds like an end of life party. There's nothing good about that. <laughs> do you reckon they'll turn it into a Michael Carvery? <laughs> hey, oh, now we're cooking. Me. Now we're cooking. <laughs> right. My word, gentlemen, that was a lengthy service, wasn't it? Um, but, but we got there. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's all move on with our lives and have another go at this next week uh, if you want to get hold of us you will find us on twitter at on underscore a underscore pair if you want to get hold of daryl butler you'll find him in at dazzaby back home all one word if you want to find me i'm jim dale i'm at james f dale if you want to find peter de somberg he will be ducking and diving for his life in the nearest pub with a net in it peace i've listened to it i think it's very good